Guys, let me tell you about the ammo we've been shooting this year. It's called Migra Ammunitions, and let me tell you, I've never shot a more consistent load in my life. It is constantly smacking honkers and ducks out of the sky. Dude, my God. You know what I love, honestly, the most about ammunition is when it works. And, <laughs> dude, that's always been my biggest gripe, right? Like, yep. it's just, dude, just shoot out of the gun. Just shoot the shell. I've not had a single dud this year. Me no, neither. It's, I love that aspect of it. I just want to be able to trust my ammunition. So, hey, if you want to learn more about stacked load ammunition that me and Joey have been shooting all year, go to migraammunitions.com. One, let me, one, let me tell you. Yeah. That 2-4 load for the 20 gauge. Yep. Smoking honkers, dude. Hey, it's hard. I don't even want to shoot my 12 gauge. No, there's a, we have a reel on our Instagram of Joey shooting 2-4 stack 20 gauge Migra. Let's go check it out, guys. Go check I can get used to this. Sorry, I moved too quick. Chasing at the blue, no counterfeit. Catch me on a wild like Donovan. I ain't no thug, but I move like Spider. Look before I light, not for another. You had a little flame, and you throw my lighter. Coming, coming back, now your shit won't light up. Whoa, whoa. What's it gonna take for you to ride on my skateboard? Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Midwest Flyways Podcast. I'm your host, Joey, and to my, to my left, I have Cal Ness. And What's going on? We are in St. Paul, Kansas right now with Carter's Big Island. We've got Drake and Roy Carter. Say what's up. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, what's up out there? This is so wild because my dad used to come here, what, 30 years ago, Roy? Uh, yes, back in the 90s. It's ridiculous. And I have all these. I brought all these pictures with me. Like showing my dad and Pete, Adam, Grady coming here way back in the day and just being complete degenerates and shooting a shitload of mallards. Yep. In Hang, the trees. Hanging green heads on the trees. Yep. Good That's, Lord. Those guys, uh, Pete Carlson and your dad, Rob, uh, they're the ones that started strapping them up on the trees before I ever seen anybody else take a picture really? of ducks hanging on a tree. Yes. No shit. Yes. So yeah. they're trendsetters. Trendsetters. Well, and how did you guys actually hang them? Use wire or barbed wire? Uh, no, we always carried braided nylon for a you know spare jerk cord. Yeah, and we just wrapped that nylon around them trees a little bit loose, and then as you stuck their heads under there and let it sag, it'd get tight. Wow. Yeah, and so uh, as a matter of fact, I had an ad that ran for years in Delta Waterfowl that had those two rows of mallards and a black duck. And everybody's like, oh, my God, flooded timber, Kansas, and this and that. Yeah. Well, the old kid actually give me, instead of a half page, a full page ad for half page price because they made me take off one row of ducks. It was just too damn much death and not enough people. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were wow. close to California. Oh, sure, okay, sure, no. sure. Yeah. Lady. That makes sense. How, uh, all right, so I, I honestly, I haven't heard all the stories, so I do want to hear a little bit about, like, the tradition and the history of your family here doing this. Because I've been told growing up, and I've obviously seen all the pictures, and I, I was, like, salivating as a two-year-old, four-year-old. And as I get older, I was like, Dad, where is this? He's like, that's at Roy's. I'm like, yeah. shit, can we go there? And he's like, yeah, well, I'll call him sometime, and he never does. And I'm like, four years ago, I'm like, Dad, we got to call Roy. Let's go down there. <laughs> Yeah, and finally this year, um, we got hooked up either on Instagram or something. Right. We got the bullshit, and it's like, oh, my God, that's Joey. That's Rob's boy. But, yeah, um, my great, great, great grandfather, Highland Carter of all names, came from Iowa 
to the lowlands and opened up a sawmill in 1886 on the island. And then the family has been in or around the island in some form or fashion since 1886 and typically had a sawmill going up until within the last 10 years. Um, I would be the seventh, no, Drake, Udell Carter, and Colby would be the seventh generation, and then their babies, uh, my grandbabies, are the eighth generation. So, Good Lord. You know, we've yeah. been, been here a long time, been taking people hunting. Um, I've got pictures from the 40s with uh, great-uncle wow. Lloyd and Cyril taking people hunting. And it's interesting because they're holding up uh, a lanyard made out of, like, you know, leather strap or something. And this is Kansas, this is St. Arkansas, where you had all that type of duck tradition, so to speak. But they were all pintails, so I can only imagine that the pickup truck was just full of mallards. <laughs> wow. Sure. Yeah. So a lot crazy. of neat stories. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, Carter, you're hunting. The only reason it's so good, because you got the refuge there. Well, shit, why do you think they built the refuge there? You know, we're, we're on the Neosho River. It's the largest river that starts in Kansas. It starts right up by the Nebraska line. And it creates this 3,500-acre island down here. And it's it's not what you visualize Kansas. This is hardwoods, you know, big yeah. pin oaks. It's, it's not just flat. Yeah, because boring. for me, like, hearing people talk about, you know, hearing Rob talk about this place, it damn near sounds like, you know, you're in Arkansas. Right. I mean, the way it is, you know, that the flooded timber and all that. And it's just, you don't you don't picture that when you think about Kansas, you know. Right, yeah. But this isn't Clinton's area at the same time, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, for sure. We're definitely in Kansas. and But uh, the mallard hunting has always been phenomenal here. And uh, we started, you know, we had financial issues with the farming and what have you. And, and the tough times, as everybody did in the, in the mid-80s. And my father filed Chapter 12 bankruptcy in 1986. I was a junior in high school. My other three brothers were out of high school and basically had to go make a living. I went to basic training, figured, you know, that way I could pay for college through the GI Bill when I was 17 years old, and uh, come back home, and my farm, or my father and I farmed together. And we did that until he passed, oh, probably about seven years ago, I guess. And through all that time, the ducks is kind of what kept, you know, our head up. Let's see. Yeah. What, oh, like I used to tell dad, hell, if it floods, we're happy. And if the sun shines, we're happy. Right. And so we, uh, we did leases and everything. And it was just something to kind of make the payments. And then it kind of turned into an opportunity. Yeah. Not an easy one, but we had a thousand prime acres. And, uh, you know, we needed to do some changes. We need to get out of debt where we can start rolling. Yeah. And that's what we did. So essentially you guys were doing like traditional farming, like corn and beans and all that. And then you owned land up to the river. You had a sawmill, so you're cutting down trees on the river back in the day, right? Right, right. Our and cousins. then, yeah. And mm-hmm. then you started farming and then you'd flood or weather was shitty, bad farming conditions, but at the same time, the duck hunting was insane. Exactly. So you turned bad farming into good duck hunting. If you can't beat it, join it. In 1986, October, we had a big flood, 
And that's when all the money to make the bank payments floated down the river. And that's when my uh, father and my uncle Ray filed Chapter 12 bankruptcy, Mm -hmm. which if we could prove to the courts that we could sustain the debt and and make our payments, if they would reduce our debt by 50% for the next three years, then that would be granted. And we were the first ones in the state of Kansas to, to complete a Chapter 12 bankruptcy. And so that's kind of damn. Know, that's kind of how we started that's out. Crazy. Pretty intense. Yeah, it is. It really? is. And so that's when we started taking water out of the Neosho River. And Neosho, I used to think that that stands for muddy, muddy water uh, in the Osage Indian language. In my readings the other day, though, I found out that it stands for the color of a cow elk. Is what Neosho mm, stands really? for. Okay, interesting. And then and it is brown like that, you know. So anyway, that water that we oh the Carters and other families on the island built levee systems in nineteen oh five to keep that water out. Well, in eighty six it came over and it broke us and then that's when we got the idea to start flooding. And within ten years we were the largest flooded green tree uh operation in the state of kansas well we still do quite a bit but we don't have all those acres now Um, we've got some key acreage that are in the flight lines from the refuge to the south and then we've got some other properties and that's what uh, the boys run the hunting club on now yeah it's working out really good it's working out better than it was we used to have I always, you know, I always told everybody I was dirt poor and sitting on a gold mine just couldn't afford to start digging, and that's basically about what it was. Sure. You know, so now I guess we can actually afford to have a piece of property. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. That's fucking awesome. Hey, so Drake, you've become a bigger part of this, you know, and, and I just want to know kind of from your perspective what you've learned so far and what's been like the toughest, most fun thing about it, I guess. Man, just trying to follow and in his footsteps, I guess. I mean, he's he's done a lot for the ducks in this area, and he's kind of he's kind of the pioneer for this area as far as mallard hunting and and just building habitat and everything for these ducks. And so, I mean, I got I got big shoes to fill, but <clears throat> I've been kind of guiding for I think what four years now, full time. Uh, yes, yeah, I've been retired. Uh, I leased everything out to Habitat Flats and thought we were headed one direction and the good Lord threw us a curveball in a good way and we and Drake realized that he didn't he wasn't worth the shit without being on that island. And yeah, construction work's no fun. Yeah. Well I understand and, that. Yeah, that's what I do. That know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so yeah. that's kind of what lit the fire again, Zim boys. Yep, so so no, we've had a we've had a great couple seasons since I've kind of taken over the guiding and everything, and I got Jacob working with me, and then I got Matthew from Louisiana, and uh, another kid named Jordan. I call them the door knocking assassins. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting permission like crazy. Yes, and thank God we had them. Because see, I've never asked anybody for permission. I mean, I'd feel like a fool because I'm Just Roy Carter. Yes, uh, I had the best. Sure. Okay, so, you know, you get ridiculed and this and that. Well, we go through this drought. We got these door-knocking assassins. <laughs> they knock, 
They get permission and they kill the sons of bitches. Yeah. Uh huh. It's that simple. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Midwest Flyways podcast. Be sure to leave us a review or a rating on Apple and Spotify and go to MidwestFlyways.com slash shop for all your latest Midwest Flyways merchandise. You need a couple of those, though. Yes, and we're going to keep we're going to keep them on a string. And what's weird is I think it's weird. <laughs> they think it's normal, right? He, he's been knocking on doors and since what September in Saskatchewan, I do believe. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I knew I met his father the other day. I knew if he could go out there in that ocean and and deep sea fish every day and get back up and do it again the next day, that he's tougher than nails, and he sure is. But no, go ahead, Drake. You, this boy here, he's doing a good job. But no, this year's been tough for sure with the uh, with the drought and everything. So, yeah, we were talking before this podcast. So, I mean, normally this time of year you have hundred fifty thousand, hundred thousand, oh, yeah. whatever on the refuge. Yeah. This time last year we were we were we were beating them up pretty good. I mean, it was it was stacked with birds, and it's, yeah. it's just not like that right now, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm sure after season it's going to get cold again, and yeah. the rivers will get stacked up. So. But it is what it is. It's been a great year, so can't complain. Is it unusually warm here right now? Um, or is this pretty normal? Like 35, 40? I mean, last year at this time, everything was froze. Yeah. Um, but it's not always going to be froze in January, but it, that's definitely our coldest month, or yeah. February, I'd say. But as far as shooting ducks, January is usually the best time, so... As you look back through the years, Roy, is there, like, one year where you're like, that year was just insane? Like, just bird-wise? Or, I mean, because sometimes you talk to guys that have been doing this a long time, and they'll just be like, oh, 2001 was just stupid, or 1997, or whatever it was. You the know, first year of, of the Robo. Yeah, you exactly. nailed it. You <laughs> nailed it. That's a no-shitter right there. Yep, Joey took the words out of my mouth. It was probably with all them pictures of his dad. It was in the 90s, I, I want to say 99, Chuck Epp from San Dimas, California, invented the America Wing Decoy. And every Walmart in central Kansas or in, in the Midwest was out of D batteries. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, Hammy, uh, Hammy went down and hunted with Jimmy Ronquist, and that's where we heard about it. And he brought it back to camp here at Kansas. But that was just sick. Um you know, other than that, I remember some hard years. <laughs> there in the 80s, uh, it was a two-duck. We get, You know, two mallard drakes was your limit, mm. you know, and, and some of that was tough. And then uh, it's like this. Every year is different. This year was as unique as all get out. On November 11th, we had more waterfowl. We probably had 150 to 200,000 mostly mallards, a lot of teal and 50,000 dark geese sitting out here on the refuge on Armistice Day. A lot of that was, I I feel personally, that due to the drought, smaller amounts of water kind of shrank them and maybe even pushed them here earlier. And that, well, you know, and that, so in Minnesota this year, this is the first year that we froze out mm-hmm. before duck close, and we yeah. closed the weekend after Thanksgiving. So Black Friday is two days before we close. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't hunt the week or four days before Black Friday. Yeah, this year it was. I've, I haven't seen that like that since I, was, since I was a kid. And so we lost. We had a shitload of ducks for about two days, mm-hmm. like probably the most I've ever seen. And then they were all gone. Yeah. And it was like 
you know, we had 50,000 bluebells where my cabin is, like on the lake. You could see the raft go all 20 miles down the lake. I've never seen so many ducks. And then the next day, frozen, gone. gone. All the birds are gone. Mm. Yeah. I've never seen it like that. So I'm guessing that was around the same time. It was right after, yeah, it was about November 8th mm-hmm. is when we lost all of our birds. Huge push. And then we had them here. Kids banged them up pretty hard. But due to the drought, due to the lack of crops in this area, you know, the corn, we <clears throat> most people didn't raise corn and mounted to a rat's ass, you know, whereas right. typically it's 150 bushel corn. And so we didn't have the food to really hold them. And I kind of felt like Arkansas is probably going to bang them up this year. And they did. They have been. And yeah. that's good. That's shit. That's good. Everybody needs to kill them or, you know, have success. I yeah. know my words are harsh, but I'm more about, you know, doing things that are good for the birds and for the habitat. You know, give back more than you take away. We've always felt like that. It's not what you do today or what you do tomorrow. It's what you do over time that, you know, actually depicts what kind of human being you are. What are some simple things you've learned, like trying to actually cultivate and manage waterfall property through the years that are some of the biggest takeaways you got? Well, that's <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, every time I think I know something, I get humbled. <laughs> um, you know, you kind of got to know <sighs> – at least personally, I like to know that I give it my all. But sometimes by doing that, I would have been better off not doing anything. Sometimes in some of these black, low-lying areas, if we just do the disturbance and the slow drawdown and go with you know the aquatic vegetation and, and the natural, sometimes we get more food production that way and it's better. But then every now and then you click on that corn and – you know, and that's we see how that is too. That's, oh yeah, that's pretty hammer. So you're you're saying so like we're from up north, right? So we're not allowed to flood our corn. Yeah. Period. And so you're saying if you go and flood a bunch of corn, sometimes it's not as good as if you were to just let freshwater shrimp and whatever just flood these areas. And because well, I'm confused, I don't. Right. I have no, idea no, what you mean. no. I'm just saying that. The farming's risky sometimes, you know. If you leave it alone, you're probably going to grow good grasses. If you manage, leave it alone, but yet manage it right, you're going to grow good habitat as far as aquatic vegetation. Whereas if you farm it, there's a risk factor that you might not grow anything. Mm. You know, you put your fertilizer and your chemical out there, but if you go through a drought, there you are, and you've got bare dirt, and you would have been better off not doing anything. Okay. So how do you how do you actually just like let it grow natural but still manage it? Like what what's the keys on that? Exactly. Um, one of them is by doing soil disturbance um, rather than just having it sod and and woody stems and undesirables as we like to call it. I like to go in there and uh, disc that ground up. And, and that's going to get your grasses and your smart weeds and your proper sedges uh, stimulated and coming up through there. And it's, it's kind of going to break that barrier or that dormant zone that that, that soil has been laying in. And then you start uh, doing like a slow drawdown if you have your water on there in the wintertime. If you'll just keep the water on until the end of February, 1st of March, and then start drawing down like an inch mm, of that water every sure. week. 
Everywhere you draw it down, it'll be a mud flat, and in that mud flat will be your your response, as yeah. they call it, of your aquatic vegetation. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely interesting. The Midwest Flyways Podcast is brought to you by Soundgear. Guys, let me tell you about Soundgear. It is a hearing protection company, and it is the bee's knees, honestly. You spend 1400 bucks on the Phantoms to save your hearing forever. I can't tell you how revolutionary it is to have good hearing protection that actually fits to the mold of your ear, enhances other noises, and then also protects your hearing. Dude, Bluetooth enabled on top of that, so it connects to your phone. And the other thing I love most about it is because they're rechargeable now, you know that the black case, <clears throat> the black case that you get with it, it's a device that charges them even when it's not plugged in. So, yeah. like, you plug it in, and it charges the case and your sound gear, just like AirPods. Mm -hmm. So then when you go somewhere on a trip or whatever, you're out in the field, and you've hunted for eight hours, and just you need to charge case. up, just put them in the case. That's seriously, like, life-changing for me, yeah. not having to swap the batteries. And so, my most asked question about sound gear, too, is how does it sound like when you're calling? And my answer every single time is if you're an experienced caller, you already know what your calling sounds like. The first time you go out and call, it's going to sound a little weird to you. But after that, your muscle memory kicks in. You don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, well, and you kind of learn. Like, you can easily just, like, take one out and hear how you sound and be like, okay. So, like, I know what it sounds like in this year. Like, that sounds fine then. You Just like you said, you just get adjusted to it. Right. No, it didn't you know? sound, if anything, it just sounded a little bit muffled. But even then, the only reason why it sounds muffled is because it's a higher decibel. So the sound gears are actually saving yeah. your ear. Yeah. <laughs> like your ear. Exactly. All right. So go to soundgear.com today to get a pair of custom fit phantoms. There's a lot. I mean, I feel like even no matter who you are as a waterfall hunter, you know, you want to, if you truly love it, you want to know more and more about the, the birds and like how they behave and what they do and why and all those different things. But I don't think, I don't think a lot of people like really actually focus on the conservation end of it from, you know, the side of management and whatever. I mean, there's a lot more waterfall hunters that don't know anything about it than there are that do. Right. And see, that's all we do here. I mean, not all we do, but 365, <laughs> 365 days a year, we wake up, drink coffee, and we think about planting food and developing habitat because that's what makes our season special. Whereas you got, you know, I also understand the person that's focused at, you know, maybe they're working on computers or IBM, and when they get a chance to hunt, they just go hunt. Yeah, and totally. That, that's good. We got to have that too. Yeah, that keeps you in business, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, you got to have both sides of it. And I, I hear some purists. Oh, they're they're just takers. They don't give anything back. You know. And I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I get that, but a lot of times they don't have the opportunity to give things back. For sure. You know, God put me in a place where I could make a difference, and. And we're seeing that when I, before I sold that thousand acres, we, we held a hundred, hundred, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand ducks pretty much all throughout the year. Yeah. Now there would be days where it's tough and it's stale, but I always told everybody, Hey, it's better that they be here in Southeast Kansas on the Island than in Arkansas. Totally. We're seeing that this year. Yeah. Um, I kind of retired from that position. I don't know. Maybe I need to go back. That sounds arrogant, but yeah, it's just, it's what I do. And you can't just go read a book and learn how to farm. Right. Right. And the farmer that walks out his door and steps on his farm is typically the best farmer. Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, like you said, it just depends on the area. 
And it's so different, you know, depending on where you are and what they're going to respond to, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it makes a big difference. You said that you had worked on, you know, a lot of, like a lot of your life's work on some of this stuff has been more on the conservation end too, from your eyes. So what are some of the bigger projects you've worked on and been Uh, a part of? In 1991, we were voted uh, first in the state of Kansas out of 120 some applicants for the WRP. Now, once again, it was cause Roy was not wealthy. Um, I had a banker that was wanting paid and I'm sitting there scratching my head. How in the hell are we going to come up with money? And here comes the WRP yeah. program. Seemed great at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd like to buy every ounce of it out, but that's okay. The big view of it's good. So anyway, uh, wetlands reserve program and these pieces that were put in it was at a praise value and it was put in there perpetually i put signed up my father and i donnie carter signed up 270 acres of timber it had already been logged and at that time if this is in 1991 it was appraised at 150 dollars an acre oh my god 150 dollars an acre yeah the shit's selling for over fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars an acre. Good yeah. lord! But uh, you're talking to the guy that made it. Uh, that made it all go to hell, but all go good, you know, in a sense. And that sounds arrogant. But why is that land on the island selling so much? Because Roy Carter promoted the shit. Yeah, it's that simple. But how was I able to promote it? Because I, I planted duck food and I put water on it for the ducks and 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 watched them just love it yeah love it and every year an imprint we really didn't have to imprint because we had them we we rotated you know they're eating they're they're, then you go bump them one time a week and and, just manage them exactly how you want them to do it exactly so we were spoiled as shit as compared to now (laughs) right you know this year it went from carter's big island to carter's small pond but i tell you what (laughs) i tell you what the boys have kicked their ass they really have and we're going to smile through it and you know the clients we've got had a lot of good clients we i think i've heard one or two bitches and that's okay because if they bitch i don't need to hear that yeah you know I drake mean, does yeah, yeah i get to hear no. it we'll let drake hear it but now we got i tell you we just bought a new piece of property and and i i couldn't be any more excited for you know about it it's a stone throw from the big hole and uh timber it, yeah oh, oh yeah. natural hardwoods on the river as soon as i get everything legal and right we'll be guaranteed to have water every year and uh, it'll be an essential part of Carter's Big Island Hunting Club for sure. You'll be able to put a lot of that uh, life's work into use and manage it the way you want to. Exactly. Instead yeah. of building it and, and getting it all good and then having to sell it. Yeah. Right. Uh-uh. We, we don't have to sell no more. We're that's going, awesome. We're actually looking for land to buy. Yeah. And Hell so, yeah. You know, that's our attitude. Full circle. So full circle. With yep. the management side, I grew up in that area that we were talking about earlier, I don't want to say the name, but, um, you, you went and hunted Beaver Creek then if you were in that area. Yes. And so I grew up managing that with my dad. And so we controlled the water level there, but you couldn't plant corn. So what we did is we did Japanese millet and I think it was like 80 acres is what it was. And then we put three pits in the ground, cut a septic tank in half, you know, built up a mound around it. So it wasn't a sink pit or a, what's that called? Sink box. Sink box. And, um, 
whatever. And so all summer, all spring, all summer, and early fall, we were out there almost every weekend planting, flooding, taking off water, everything, you know. And that is a fuckload of work. <laughs> and I, yeah. I was a kid. And so what we did is we had a section that we never touched, like for the ducks to rest and all that. But we were lucky enough to have like a huge lake that they could go rest on. But if it got windy, they didn't want to be there and they wanted to be on our property. And so we had a rule, like you can't shoot them on that section of the property. And it's all like one piece, but you just never, like you never set foot on that during season. Do you guys have like a piece of your property that's like that? It's like a, um, why can't I think of the word? A resting area. Resting area or um, what's that called? Um, pres- know, like a preserve or a... A reserve? A reserve? I don't know. I can't think of the word. Refuge? But refuge. Yeah. Thank you. Do you guys have like a refuge piece of your property where like you never hunt and like that's where they can always go to rest? Well, and it might be different for you because if you're able to move them the way you want to, then I don't know mm-hmm. if you have to. But. You know, we used to. Now, in general, we have an 850-acre refuge pool, state-owned, yeah. you know, that's out here on the refuge. Wow. No hunting, no entry or nothing. And you'll see a lot of my videos. I try to limit those because this refuge is really small, really crowded, and I got to live with these locals. And so when they see a lot of out-of-state tags, I don't want it because Roy Carter put it on Instagram. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But it is what it is. Um, yeah, stay home. The hunting sucks. Yeah, stay home. The hunting sucks. <laughs> but back in the day when I was managing all that down on the island, uh, we did have we the old Susie was our resting pool, and the last day that the boys was down, they would go on what they call because it you know it they'd burn them pretty hard for yeah. about a week. It was starting to get slow, so they would go on what they call the wood duck roundup, <laughs> and that's that's <laughs> when Grady and and Rometta and everybody would just walk around the old Susie and, you know, <laughs> shoot their limit walking around it. And then that was, that was that. And I noticed that when they do the wood duck roundup, <laughs> things wouldn't be worth a shit for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but then they'd realize, okay, everybody's gone. It's safe here again. And, and then they'd come back to using the property and I'd go back to just watching them. Yeah. You know, I seen so damn many ducks killed in my life that after a while you get, I don't know. It's like, man, I've seen enough of it. And you, and you hear all the the waterfowl jealousy and all that sentiment bullshit. You mm-hmm. know, well, how come they went to this pit? And that, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. You know, you write me a big check and you can just run the son of a bitch if that's the way it is. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean. Right. You're a guest of ours. That's, you know, if we, if we have to pay a couple million dollars for a piece of property and we develop it and stuff and we let you hunt that thing for you know, a few hundred dollars, then you ought to feel privilege. Right. You know, cause that's a pretty cheap way of hunting it. Well, and not only that, but you know, it's the same thing that you hear when, I mean, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. So like you'll hear people be like, well, you're not paying for my hourly rate to just show up and do it. You're paying for the 20 years or the 30 years or whatever it took me to get this good. So I'm this fast or this good at it. Mm-hmm. And it's right. the same thing. I mean, yeah, you guys are managing property that I mean, people, yeah, they're paying to come and hunt. And all of your hard work is what's making it so they can just show up and shoot birds and have a good time, you know? And a lot of people don't realize how much, how many, like, 
how much the people that actually work on these conservation efforts and like control the way the birds actually migrate and move and what would happen if those people stopped working on some of that stuff. I mean, you've seen it happen all over the place, you know, just from people managing property further north. I mean, even Louisiana and some of the southern states feel the pain of some of that, you know, not shooting as many birds if they don't have to go any further south. Definitely. So it's... Yeah, the guys that run this refuge here, they do a great job. And, I mean, they're out there every day doing something to improve it. So, yeah. Yeah. You'll get people that complain this and that, but I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of state workers, and I, very few could ever hold a candle to these guys. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. up early in the mornings just like we are, and they probably don't have to. No. Yeah. And they're duck hunters, too. I mean, they... They want so what's they best for everybody, yeah. 100%. Have you guys ever heard that analogy of a, a brand new boat like the Titanic um, went out and they took it on its maiden voyage and it's the propeller stopped? And so they put like millions of dollars into this boat. And they had a, like dozens of people come out and take a look at this boat and no one could get it to work. And so one guy comes out and he looks at it for two hours and then he takes a hammer and he hits a certain spot. And the boat works just great. And they go, okay, send us the bill. And he sends them a $20,000 bill. And they go, what the fuck? You took the hammer and you hit it one time. Why are you charging us 20 grand? He goes, it's $2 for the hammer hit. And it's eighteen or it's $19,800 for, <laughs> for to know the experience as to where to swing the hammer. Yeah. And it's just so funny because we're in construction and people get so pissed. I'm somewhere for 20 minutes and I charge them 500 bucks. And they were like, how could you ever charge me that? It's like, well, I know what I'm doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm the fifth guy to show up and to fix it. Well, and it's the same thing with you guys, you know? They're coming here because you guys have been doing it. You built it. it. And yeah, you built it. You know what it is. You've seen the way the birds react or don't if you do that property the way you want to do it. or I mean, you know what it's all about. They, they always, have no idea. You're you know? always going to so. have bitches. So. <laughs> it's tough because <laughs> that's, that's one thing I wanted to ask. Like, as a guide, right? I mean, we go, we have a lot of friends that are guides. So we go around and we get to see their experience. And, you know, what's the, what's the toughest thing about being a guide? And then, you know, secondly, how do you deal with, like, people that just either are, you know, not, not happy to do it or just disrespectful or crabby or whatever? I mean, whatever it is. I mean, you get a lot of those clients. I mean, everybody does, so. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I'll touch I'll touch on a little bit, but a lot of guys they might they might be uh, upset about something in their personal life, you know. Yeah. And so I'm I I just try to be nice and be uh, respectful to everybody. You know, I I'm not gonna get too heated over something because most of these guys, if they're pissed off about something, they don't they just don't get it. I mean, it's it's wild birds, and uh, sometimes you can't control the hunting. I mean, sometimes it's gonna be good, sometimes it's not, but we are going to take you hunting and we're going to try everything we can to, to get you on birds. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> that's why I let Drake field that one yeah. first. I tell you, Drake is awesome with the clients and Jacob. Now, Jacob, if, if you come hunting with us in the future, or if you've hunted in the past, Jacob's not stuck up or anything. He just can't hear real good. Jacob, Jacob's got his <laughs> hearing aids and he's all hunt, but Drake, uh, Drake's just soft-spoken, not a mean streak in his body. And if anybody's got a problem with Drake, mm, they might want to pack their shit and get the hell out of here. Uh, Now, me, on the other hand, (laughs) 
I'm the shits. I am hard charging, hard driving a son of a bitch you ever seen at five o'clock in the morning. I used to go through the island with my windows rolled down, jamming oh, yeah. so that Satterley could hear me. He called me Rock and Roll Roy. And I'd drive, that, <laughs> I'd drive the four-wheel drive right in the middle of the fucking flooded pecan grove, start throwing decoys right out of the back of the truck. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, and then I, it's weird. I still have that hard charge. I might be asleep at 3 in the afternoon. but So, anyway, <laughs> now, the hardest thing for a guide is to take people hunting or the hardest things for us here at Carter's is to take people hunting and know that it's going to be a shitty day. And I guess that's hard for us because we care. If we didn't give a shit, then we wouldn't give a shit. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, we want everybody to have a good time, and but it's wild bird hunting. And I'm going to tell you, <laughs> if you shot a limb and a mallards every day, You'd quit mallard hunting. Oh, bullshit. No, Mr. Carter, you're full of shit. The hell I am. If that's the case, why don't we shoot blackbirds? It's just like that old gal that put out the first time you went out with her in high school. <laughs> you didn't marry her. If you did, you got your hands full. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. It's, yeah. You got it. You got, so true. You see what I'm saying? That's so oh, yeah. fucking true. Oh, yeah. It, if they, if, oh, did you see that bird? Oh, that son of a bitch. Give it up. If they all give it up, then it wouldn't be that special. Right. Yeah, so it's it's mallards, man. And that's why I'm, I've been obsessed with these fucking mallards all my life. I mean, I named my kid Drake Udell Carter, D-U-C. Udell's Latin for wealth because I thought of all this timber and shit I'm building, these ducks going to make this boy wealthy. And it, and it has. Not so much in the bank account, but it, it just in life. Yeah. This is... It doesn't get any better. I've been broke and I've been rich, and none of that makes a hill of beans. Yeah, it's no, it's being happy. That's cool. It's really cool. I man. like that a lot. Who did you learn the most from in terms of hunting? In terms of duck hunting, that's uh, Jim Gannott. There was an old man on the island. He owned a place at Swan Lake, and then he owns he owned a place on the island that's right across from. Uh, from where we do a lot of our hunting, it's called T. Willie Waterfowl right now, but um, <laughs> which is but, an unreal, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. But anyway, uh, uh, Mr. Gannott was quite an individual. His father uh, was partners on two square sections of flooded timber in Stuttgart, Arkansas, with the McCollum family. Um, just a lot of history. Shackles hanging in front of the bus. All kinds of shit right down to the Solyner table, you know. I mean, and one would say, well, what do you mean? Well, I called bullshit. Mr. Gennad always had a Kansas City star and the Solyner table. And he was like, well, you better get down there, boys. Peak movement, you know, is 1230. I was like, shit, we ain't seen nothing all day. I, I said, do you, you believe in that shit? And he has his little cigarella, and he was a sophisticated man. He was a geologist, oil man. And uh, he said, well, I've studied it for a lot of years, and there seems to be something to it occasionally. And by golly, I tell you what, we went down there and we set up, and about every 10 minutes, here come a group of mallards over the trees, and boom, we's done like in 45 minutes. Wow. So just little shit like that. So yeah. I pay attention to the Solyner table now, and I always think of Mr. Gannott when I do that. Yeah. What even is that? I have no idea what that is. It's a uh, peak. 
major and minor movements. A lot of it's got to do with uh, the, where the moon is located, if it's on the direct opposite side of the earth. And oh, really? Gravitational pull and fish biting. And I guess what... <clears throat> High and low pressure systems. Yes, what you'll, you know, what you'll notice is in clear water, you can sit there and put it right in front of that fish's mouth and he won't do it. But if it's something, you know, if it's time to go... It's time to bite. When the bite's on, they just start biting. Yeah. Yep. So, like, how long did it take you to figure that shit out? Right, yeah. That's like, my I mean, just, like, doing the... Because <laughs> right now, I'm doing that uh, that meme, you know, Drake? The Zach Galifianakis where the numbers are, like, floating around his fucking head and he's trying to do the math. That's what I'm doing right now. So, well, like... No, no, I don't... mad scientist I don't, over I don't study the sign. Make up the cellular tables. You actually just... When you're out in the marsh, ask Siri when the major and minor movements are today in the cellular table, and and it will tell you. And the last time I was hunting, last Friday, we killed our ducks during the major movement. So it's during the majors? And majors and minors, yep. Wow. And getting those during daylight hours is special. And I notice it a lot on ocean fish, too. You know. Wow. Interesting. That is fucking crazy. Yep. Yep. So, like, Drake said you haven't figured it out yet. But obviously, how long have you been hunting mallards? Like, how many decades? Oh, goodness gracious. Let's see. I'm 53, started hunting about five. Okay. Brother Mike, um, I tagged along with him a lot. Mark Blackburn a lot. Yep, I've heard that name quite a bit. Yep, learned a lot from uh, shit, Grady and Rometta and the Goosey Boys and Peter and and Rob and Tommy and yeah, what learned a lot from oh, I got some mentors in Arkansas, you know, Trey Crawford and yep, Jimmy Ronquist and outlaw Bobby Joe Willie and um oh hell Buck Gardner's always been real good to me and and Blake Burris and I got yeah. It's a waterfowl world. If you fuck one of them, you're fucked. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> yeah. It's a small world. Sure I was is, good man. friends right. with Tim Grounds. I Rometta took me out there, and we spent time with him. And to, to, I wanted to learn how to blow a goose call. We froze out one year, so ungodly cold. That if you didn't know how to kill a greater Canadian, you wasn't going to kill nothing. Yeah. So, so I went out and hung out with Tim Grounds and – and uh, Wiz was running the trailer, and it's killing them right out back. And the Burnses and the Busher and the Reader place. And, yeah, I still got it all up in my head. Yeah, it's so cool, man. Yeah. So, like, if you were to talk to, like, me, for instance, and I'm saying, hey, how can I become more educated to kill more ducks and geese or just ducks, mallards in general? Like, what's yeah, to the, just understand them. What's know, the to, biggest piece of advice you could give me to kill more ducks? Wow. Um, keep duck hunting. And the biggest thing to me on, on killing ducks or harvesting, enjoying, however, is, is being able to read a duck, you know, course you got to be where the ducks are and you got to go through the management process or get to where they are scouting and everything but i can go hunting with somebody and just sit back and watch them and watch the duck and i can tell you in five seconds if i'm hunting with somebody that's real or if i'm hunting with a t willie it's that simple mm -hmm. I, I mean <laughs> there's like when i'm working a mallard there 
it's as if he I know what he's thinking every second and he knows what I'm thinking every second. And yeah. when, when I quit knowing what he's thinking is when I start getting really fucking pissed and you know, and then maybe have to do a chop chop and then and then extend <laughs> that first note and get a comeback going. But there is an art to it. Right. The way it's supposed to happen. And when that happens it's I find it quite beautiful. And when people appreciate this sport they find it quite beautiful when they watch that art of a decoy in mallard right because my favorite thing about waterfowl hunting i don't really need to pull the trigger anymore like i've killed plenty you know but my favorite part is working them mm-hmm. that's my favorite fucking part and i'm and i say the same shit you just have to go out enough do enough trial and error and figure out what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and each day is totally different you know mm-hmm. so with someone who's been doing it for almost 50 years what do you mean by reading ducks? And like when I ask that, I don't mean calm on the corners and tail or uh, wingtips and tail feathers. You know what I mean? Right. Like, give me a little bit of detail here when you say like, watch, read the birds. Right. Um, you can tell what call they're liking. You can tell what call they're not liking if they bounce up. And knowing what ducks to call at. Okay, so like you're sitting in the blind, here comes a big group of ducks, and you got a client, oh, here comes it. Well, if they're all scattered and their heads angled upwards a little bit and they're heading back to the refuge, they're flush ducks. You won't, you just can't do anything with those. Um, every now and then, if you're hammering hard, you might get one to break off. But when that head is a little bit higher than the rest of the body, in other words, the head's up, Right. They're airplanes. If you'll, this will help you guys out there more than anything, I think. If you will think of a duck as a 172 Cessna and your air traffic control, which is a hell of a name for a duck call, then that's the gig. In other words, you've got to get him set up and coming down out there. Don't set him up right over the top of you because then you got to get him back out there and there's an art to it. And then, and, and it's reading what they're liking. Body, if, body language. Body language. If you hit him with something and he tucks the tips of his wings closer to his body and tries to get the, get down faster, then he liked what you hit him with, you know, and just keep doing that. And if somebody's got him on a string, don't jump in there and mess him up, you know. You mean like if someone else is calling him and you jump in, you're going to fuck him up? You could. Yeah. You could. And if they're on a string, don't. You don't don't mess them up, and you don't want to take that risk, <laughs> right? You know? Now, if those two callers are calling together on those birds and everything, but like first time I hunted with Jimmy Runquist and Trebo, they wouldn't let they, it's step one through eight. Nobody else call because you're just going to fuck them up, and we got to start over the steps, and that's basically what they tell you. Is mm. that simple? One that doesn't realize the sport or live with them that might think that's harsh and, and it might hurt their feelings a little bit. But when you live with them and it gets toward the end of the season, which that was, then you kind of understand what you're talking about. Yeah, sure. That's really interesting actually. And I'm, thank I'm, you. Yeah, I'm taking that in. Yep. Try to land little right, airplanes, right. try to land little airplanes. Yeah. I mean, Drake, what about you? Yeah. I mean, he hit it. He hit it. Uh, a nail on the head. I mean, I've just grown up doing it, so I don't even think about it. I can't even tell you how to do it. It's just sure once you get it figured out, there's just an art to it. Right. Well, that's been the hardest thing for me is to try to teach other people. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been doing it since I was one and a half with my dad. It's the hardest thing to explain. You just have to watch. Yep. 
you have to fuck it up a thousand times before you like understand it. Oh yeah. And like you have to you have said, your dad yelling at you in the pit. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Get it, your head down. Every duck's different and every day's different. So I mean, some days they'll like the calling, some days they won't, but you just got to mess with it and figure out what what they want that day. Yeah. Right. Is there like a certain call that you do? Like cuz I know every area like topographic area of hunting is totally different cuz we've hunted the timber is different. You know, if yep. I'm hunting big water, totally different. If I'm hunting a little cattail slough, totally different. Cornfield, right. different. Mm-hmm. You know, so in your area at the big pit, right, where you've got like a, it looks like a bean field meeting water and then there's a tree row behind it. Yep. Right. So like, is there a different style of calling there versus in the timber? Like, is it more aggressive, less aggressive? Like it's pretty aggressive. Um, you know, we do a lot of feed calling, mm-hmm. uh, but not real fast feed, just some kind of chopping feed, you know, just yeah, especially when you want to land them, like trying to finish them, uh, you'll slow down a little bit. But we bark at them at that big pit just because we're trafficking ducks. And so we're really barking at them, get, being loud and aggressive. And then uh, once they give it up, you know, sometimes they want to hear that loud, aggressive calling all the way to the water. Um, but other times you got to you got to be soft on them. Can you pick it out at the day? Like, can you be, can it be a Friday and you call at them hard and then you ease off and they back out? Yep. And then you're like, yep. all once, right, I'm hammering you, them. Exactly. Once, yeah. once you bounce out, once you hit them hard and they lock up and they come down and you get soft on them and they leave, then you know not to do that again. Yeah. This next group, hit them hard and keep hitting them hard. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe they'll leave too, but then you just got to figure it out. So right. it might take two or three groups. It might take 10 groups before you finally get it narrowed down to, to what they want to hear. Yeah. And then yeah. right when you think you got it figured out. Um, they fuck you. And they fuck you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hear that from every guide I've ever talked to. As but. soon as you think you know something, you fucking don't. The Midwest Flyways podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Onyx Hunt is the best way to find your next field permission, the best way to find that next water source that you want to hunt. Uh, they have everything that you could possibly pretty much have or want in an app to find where the ducks or the geese are going to be. Um, they've literally added so many different features now. Uh, you can see the topography of what was planted there the year before. You can put in the wind direction depending on how you want to hunt a certain spot. I mean, it's literally the best tool for you to be successful in the field. So go to Onyx Hunt today to learn more. But I'm going to tell you right now, in my lifetime of waterfowling, if I didn't have that meat whistle hanging around my neck, I wouldn't have killed shit sitting there scared and oh we're gonna old school it and all that stuff no you kill you kill them with a call you kill them with a call if you know how to handle that call and years ago there wasn't anybody up here on this kansas refuge that knew how to blow and and like hell call or anything and uh, one of my first partners was brian benford that made the old Susie duck call and so brother mike and brian and i we were into blowing the calls and and it's nice when you go out and you still see a duck that works to a call because these kids are blowing these mondos. I even got one. And, and like I say, you bark at them and sometimes right in their face too. Mm. You know, and it's like, you're kidding me. And I had to go see it for myself. I got a brother that likes to set them up right on top. He sounds good and he just so fired up. He likes to hit them and get them just locked up right over the hole. I says, is he calling at him over the top of the hole? Drake said, yep. 
I said, is it fucking them up? He said, nope. So I got in the car and I ran out there and I hopped by brother Mike and I said, hit that fucking call. And I watched and when he'd hit that call, they'd just ball up tighter and come aiming at that fucking pit. Didn't they drink? Yeah. Uh, so I went and bought a fucking Mondo. <laughs> There you go. See, things change because that yeah. wasn't it, yeah. it wasn't like that before. It well, wasn't. My, my dad taught me you have to be quiet. Yeah. And you have to hit them at the right time. So I learned how to read them really fucking fast when I was yes. young. And then it was about six, seven years ago, I really started hammering on them. And I could make them do some wild shit. Like yes. they're migrating in V's and you'd pull two out of there, be working them all the way down. And all of a sudden there's 50 pack dropping right in front of you. You didn't even see them. Mm-hmm. But they like you were hammering at those two coming down so slow, and all of a sudden there's a fifty pack right in your front of your face, and that's when my mindset changed. It's like I gotta hammer these things. And a big tip for calling too, when you're calling at these ducks, and what reminded me of this is when you said those two come down. When I'm out there calling, or when the boys are out there calling, and you get that one duck to break. Keep your eye on that duck. That's your duck. I always tell everybody, that's your duck. Don't take your eye off it. He's the one dancing to your call, he or she. Don't take your eye off that duck. The rest of them will follow. Now, another thing important, you're out there, you're working ducks, whether they've seen the mojos too much or what, but that group of ducks has done come through your shit about four or five times, right? Right. All of a sudden, you'll hear me holler, virgins, virgins. <laughs> that means that there's new ducks that has just seen your shit at that point in time totally forget about the old ducks if them new ducks are eating you up those are the ducks you'll kill now sure you've already lost them other ones you just ain't realized it yet always you know you gotta you can't just put your head down and i've done it a bunch when i lose the ducks i'll put my damn head down and go into a corn squawk Sometimes it works, but typically I wished I could have kept my eyes on those ducks. You've got to be watching a duck to call a duck. Pure, plain, and simple. Yeah, that's 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 a good one. I, yeah. Don't you agree, Drake? Yeah, that's that's key. Yeah, and don't don't take your eye off that duck that's eating you up. And when he quits eating you up, if a new one comes in, pay attention to it. Yeah, and if if your buddy's got a duck on a string, don't don't feel like you got to touch your call. Sure. Maybe a Drake whistle, but I mean if he's working a duck and it's it's doing it, just put your call down, grab your gun. Yep. Yeah. If it's if it's your teammate, maybe some soft feed or like say a Drake whistle. Maybe. We you know, in our little feeds, I like for my feed to sound like tree frogs. I mean, if you ever go out and you grow up with ducks like I did, I mean that's that's what they what sound what like. the fuck does a tree frog sound um, like? Oh they just, sure, they just like tree frogs out there at night, like an old dozer running. Yep, yep. When you go back in the woods, tick, 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 tick. yep, it sound like an old DT three. <laughs> but yeah, you you know, and that that makes a difference too. When you walk outside your door and take a piss, and oh well, the snow geese are flying into the refuge. We're gonna shoot mallards tomorrow. I, this boy grew up a half a mile from the refuge pool, right over where the river split and create the big island. His grandfather was born on the river bank up there underneath the big sycamore tree. Oh, literally. Literally. Oh. Doc, Doc Brian come okay. down the river in a boat, and right between the refuge 
and where Dan Smith and them guys' duck hunting cabin is is where my my dad, Donnie Carter, and my uncle Ray Carter were born on the riverbank. Yeah. Unreal. That's yep. crazy. That's so wild. My grandma met my grandfather because my grandf- grandma was a teacher at the Big Island Schoolhouse. Wow. Yep. That is just wild. I'm just picturing my wife giving birth in the hospital. <laughs> and I'm like, that was hell. Now imagine being outside at yeah. the fucking base of a tree. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they might add shelter, but it was near that tree. I love it. Holy yeah, shit. with no no uh Yeah, know, no no, no fancy killer. shit. Yeah, no fancy shit. Yeah. No painkiller. But no, Doc Bryan was was the man in those days. But no, we definitely and I've told people that, you know. Uh, this is our love and our passion and hell when i grew up and this boy grew up on the north end of the island drinking the well water so if you look at myself and this boy our body's composed of the water out of the neosho river and southeast camp i mean yeah you know when i died dump my ashes off the bridge boys i mean this is it yeah yeah Hell, we got a place in, down at Destin, and, and it's nice and everything, but... It's not home. <laughs> no, it's not home. It ain't home. Yeah. And sometimes you got to do that shit to realize where home's at. For sure. You know? Yeah. Speaking of all the, uh, I guess, stories you have of this place, can you tell us a crazy hunting story or a couple that you've, you know, experienced throughout the years? I'm, I know it's a it's one of those questions you have to think about for a minute, and every time Joey and I ask it, you know, it takes people a second, and you got to come up with... Something and now I'll tell you this, Roy. What we're what we really love to hear about is sort of those unique situations. You know, it doesn't have to be like some crazy hunt or whatever. But we hear some stories that are just just unique. You know, it's a it's an experience that only happens as one person one time. I've what watched the- a couple people shoot their own foot off in the old Power oh, Hunter, shit. like a yep. like a in one of those septic tanks. Mm-hmm. Someone's gun fell and shot, and I got a bunch of BBs in my neck. Like, there's shit like that. Right. The but unique, then there's the also where it's like, we're getting our asses kicked all day. And then this one mallard came down. No one else wanted to shoot it because they just got their asses kicked all day. I shot it and it was double band reward. You know, just shit like that. It doesn't really. And it's always interesting because the stories like vastly differ, you right. know? So right. well, a lot I got, of shit I got stories. Cool, yeah, tell I us got one. a cool story. Yeah. Um, this, was, this happened last year. It was the second day of season. Uh, it was pretty slow. There wasn't a whole lot of birds. I had one guy, um, J-Rod from Tennessee, and me and him were standing in the woods, and he told me before the hunt, he said he wanted to wait for the mallards. He said he shoots wood ducks all the time back home. He, he doesn't care to shoot any wood ducks. I said, that's fine. <laughs> no wood duck roundups for yeah, him? Yeah, no wood duck roundup. Um, so we're standing there. You know, the sun's coming up. Um, it's legal shooting hours, and we got a five-pack of woodies that come in and land Oh, 10 feet from us. And he, he looked at me, and he just shook his head. I said, it's fine. You, you don't have to shoot them, you know. Um, we'll wait on the mallards. Well, they sat there for about five minutes, and finally two of them lined up just perfect. And he never said anything. He just shot. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I, I couldn't take it no more. And I said, that's that's cool, man. So I sent my dog, old Kane. I sent Kane on it. And uh, he, brought, he brought the hen back first, and uh, I picked her up. Looked at her, didn't say nothing, sent the dog after the drake because he killed two of them in one shot. Uh, the dog brought the drake back and uh, looked at his legs. Well, the hen was double-banded, and the drake had a single band Holy on his leg. Holy shit. 
and I said, hey, man, you just shot three bands. And he looked at me, and it, his face just turned white, and he started shaking. And he thought I was fucking with him, but, I mean, I swear to God, I, I handed him the ducks, and, I mean, he, he couldn't even talk. The was, two best wood ducks he ever shot in his yeah, life, said, you know? He said, fuck waiting on the mallards. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I guess he was going to buy a lottery ticket or something. Oh, no shit, shit. Huh? Yeah. But, no, that was, that was pretty cool. That is so cool, man. You better buy a lottery ticket yeah, after no that. Shit. Yeah. Three bands, oh. one shot. Yeah. Didn't even want to shoot them. They sat there for so long. Yep. That's a special story. I, You know, that's a tough question. I, I'm glad old Drake jumped in there with one because all these years to hunting, and it's like it all bleeds together. Yeah. Um, you know, I, some things that stick out in my mind. One time, Rod Sollins and Brother Mike and I walked to Pool 5, and we chopped a big hole of ice or we chopped a hole of ice with an axe. The shit was like four inches deep. Worked a couple hours, got it out of there and the best we could. And the, and it was one of those days. And you're always worried about them ice chunks. Well, the damn ducks was landing in the hole and literally jumping up out of there and hopping on those ice chunks and pruning themselves. Now, I do remember the fact that it was really cold and either sleet and rain or icing up, but Spoonie, that's what we called Rod Sullins, he was all worried the Carter boys were going to shoot ducks out from under him and everything, so he was rubbing on that safety, and the goddamn gun went off. And so that, you know, yeah, that was a bad deal, and that was like, you know, pack them up, and time to go home there. Um, another story, one year, it was just that year for me to get bands, I guess. I found a, a wounded mallard in pool four that a hawk was about to eat. I backed up. Surely not. Rolled it over. Band. Found a carcass on the river down after the island comes back together and on the confluence. And my buddy Shannon had walked past it and didn't check it. And I checked it and it was banded. And then shot a bird on the river with oh i think probably stan and pete and brother mike and there was five of us and we put our names in the hat and damned if they didn't draw roy's name out so that was kind of a weird magical deal but it's kind of funny how that goes it's i've, I've talked to other guys that it seems like it's you know like even just talking to joe um joe Hines. i mean he he says you know like there's years where it's just stupid and there's times where you just don't shoot anything, you know, shoot, don't shoot a lot of bands for a few years. And I mean, he's shooting Canada bands, you know, so it's right in Minnesota, but wait, yeah. I, I had a seven year drought of bands. My dog's first duck hunt, she kicked my lanyard with all of Rob's calls and bands and my bands on it. And uh, a couple of calls, uh, personalized from Tim grounds the year. I was born. He had a half breed said to Joe, love Tim, kill them all. 1993. Just like, you can't put a price on that. And my dog kicked it in the water, mm. and I could I searched for six hours, couldn't find the lanyard, and I didn't shoot a band for seven years. Mm. Uh, and I I bet you there's like thirteen bands on that lanyard, mm. probably four of them were from my dad, and the rest were from me. And I'm like, one one of them was a Mallard band from here, and I'm like, he was so pissed that I took his lanyard and shit. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, like what do I do? <laughs> and then I'm out in Nebraska, buddy hunting, first time hunting a crazy river system like that. And uh, we weren't shooting shit, fell in over my waders that day. It was like negative 11 and I was just freezing my dick off. 
and I thought I was going to get hyperthermia and I see two mallards coming up the channel. I don't say a word because it's on my side. I take a shot, kill the drake, and uh, he goes out on the ice and the guy sends his dog and he's like, oh, she's old. She's going to drown herself. We don't know how deep it is right there and whatever. So we wait like an hour and then I go, I'm like, fuck it. I'm cold. I'm going to go walk and grab that duck. As I'm walking to grab the duck, a hawk is picking at it, and he tries flying away with it. I didn't even see it because I'm trying to get on the ice. And I walk over to it, and I'm like 30 feet away, and I'm like, oh, shit. That's banded. And it's just the craziest thing because that hawk almost took him away, that whole duck. And I have a picture of him, and like his, he was eating him from the back down, and like his entire breast was gone from the backside. And he almost took that thing away. That's wild. That is pretty crazy. Yeah. But I got one more question for both of you, and that is, uh, so you've been doing this a long time, and you've been doing this pretty much your entire life, right? Yeah. And so social media has gotten pretty big in the last 10 years or so. How has it changed waterfowl? And is it for the better or for worse? Man, for for outfitting business, it's for the better. Right. Um, But for just your everyday waterfowl hunter... Uh, it's definitely made it made it harder, probably, because people can get online and see where the ducks are, and you know everybody's. It's not really bragging, I guess, but everybody wants to shoot ducks and post pictures of them. And uh, I don't know. What do you think? Ian, it's interesting concept. Um, I can flash back to like the old hard ass and and cuss it and boys band and they've ruined it for everybody and but really sometimes it's inspiring you know uh, just as drake said this social media like with carter's big island if if we would have had social media rocking the way it is now 10 years ago well, i would have never had to sell an acre you know, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, you can. It's just, but that's just timing. You know, you can't cry over spilt milk. I'm, I'm happy with every decision, almost every decision that we've made because it's just, it's kind of that journey. It's God's plan, man. It's God. We make plan. plans and God laughs. And there's a reason. <laughs> there's a right. reason. I mean, we tried buying a piece of property last year, made a hell of a strong bid on it, and and we didn't get it, and. We kind of was a little bit upset, and then all of a sudden, holy cow, here come this one for selling. Fuck, that's a no-brainer. Thank God we didn't get that one last year. Yeah. You know, or yeah. we'd have to yeah. go on an equity drive. But with that being said, uh, there's a lot of people that, that are handicapped or their job consumes them, their life consumes them, and – this Instagram and social media allows them to get outdoors, allows them to get educated on the sport. And I'm seeing some stuff. Like I seen one that Tony Vandemore did 10 years ago on the Hunter. That's good. There's a bunch of these dumb asses that need to understand this shit. You know, God made a Hunter, you know, for a reason. I mean, when we're seeing that with bird flu, um, with the snow geese and whatever, when they get, overpopulated in certain areas and they're going to thin out you know mm-hmm. that's just like now we've got a deer population problem they'll thin out coons are getting too thick they'll you'll start seeing mother nature take care of them they'll be walking around the daytime with matter dies and they'll thin out yeah you know 
So, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Let's just try to, when it comes to that social media topic, let's just try to pay attention to ourselves. Do you, do you feel like it's uh, it's made the sport itself better, or do you think it's making a worse type of hunter? Oh, that's a good question. You know, what's weird is, is they say that these here duck stamp sales keep going down, but gosh, right, when, I, right. when I show up, it looks like Sure, it's, a lot of fucking people there, sure, aren't there? Yeah, <laughs> no shit. So, you know, and and I know money's the root of all evil, but this social media does do a lot of marketing drive, whether it's on shotguns and the sale of items. And, you know, and we got to have that gross national product. Uh, you know the dollar's got to turn over seven times in a community i don't it's tough you got to watch out because waterfowlers are the most jealous greedy son of a bitches in the world it's okay <laughs> if they're killing they just don't want anybody else and i don't yeah. get that i i'd like to see every good person have success in this world and every piece of shit frying hell right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean the yeah it's funny because you know we started started before we did this podcast started talking about the reason we started midwest flyways and like you know, Joe, I learned how to hunt hunting with Joey, you know, so this is my 10th or 11th year hunting. And it's like, I didn't, you know, I grew up in a fishing family, so nobody was going to teach me, you know, how to hunt. And so I told Joey, when we started making videos, we really kind of set out in the beginning, we were just like inspired by some of the more like film, like cinematic videos that were coming out. Like Dr. Duck videos. Dr. Duck, the Yeti Unreal. film had just come out and, you know, we were, we were pretty fired up about how cool that looked and. We were like, well, what are we going to do to start making videos? And I'm like, you know, if I didn't start hunting with you, I would have had no idea how to do any of this stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe we just make some educational videos. And, you know, when we've heard it all. You know, we've heard, we've definitely heard a lot of uh, folks that are, you know, from a generation before before us that are pretty frustrated with some of the stuff that gets put out there for people to know and the resources and, you know, all that. But at the same time, I mean, our generation and generations younger than us, they're not going to learn from a book and you know, the hunting community keeps getting smaller. So in a way it's, it's like almost a necessary evil, you know? I mean, we, we obviously, we don't every minute, you know, want to be posting on social media and, and whatnot. It's, it's tiring sometimes, but it's like, well, half of this too is, you know, we're trying to keep people doing it. Yeah. So the whole reason why we started is, you know, I, I got brought into it by my dad Thank God, thank God, because I'd probably be in jail if I didn't find hunting, you know, be chasing women and booze and drugs, whatever. Hunting is like one of the few things that's kept me level-headed and grounded because you can't get drunk every night and go hunting. You just won't, yeah. you won't survive. Yeah, you can, but it ain't no fun. Right. You're right. That first gunshot or that first person barking their Mondo next to you. Uh-uh. No. And so... That was one of the reasons why we started Midwest Flyways is to keep the tradition going because Cal didn't grow up duck hunting. A lot of people didn't grow up duck hunting, but they get into it in their 20s, their teens, whatever, and then they're trying to figure out how to do it by themselves, and they have nowhere to learn. Well, and I can tell you this, you know, getting into it, I mean, I was hooked immediately, you know, first hunts that we went on. We but shot a hen gadwall in the water, and first, it's never been the same. Duck, yeah, <laughs> and the thing is, though, it's like, at the same right, if that was just a situation where I was going out for like one or two hunts that year, and I wasn't hanging out with someone who was absolutely sick with, you know, waterfall. Sick for it, dude. Sick with waterfall hunting, you know, as a disease inside of them. 
I, I certainly wouldn't have had all the pieces to put together how to continue to be more successful hunter and to learn and to grow in it. You know, it would have just been something I got to do a couple times a year. Yeah, and that's kind of a, oh, a hashtag or a, a new cliche that I've kind of coined here in the last couple of years. I need to get a trademark on it, but it's pass it on or lose it. Yeah. yeah. And so if you think about these people that are offended by the Instagram and everything that want to keep it a secret, you know, that the selfishly, that's wa- the thing want we to see keep so it much. a yeah, secret. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right, right. Guess what happens? It doesn't get passed on. You're the it last does, one. To you're know the, the last secret. one. Yeah. Yeah. And then the whole fucking tradition dies. Yeah. Quit being selfish. It ain't yours. You're just here for a little while. Yeah. You're just borrowing it from your grandchildren who hopefully will be borrowing it from theirs. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Right. Well, this is me oh, that's in, cool. in December with my daughter on a river out west. I seen that one. God. Six months old. That's first awesome, I, I didn't know my wife was taking pictures, and I'm just like, I'm keeping that picture forever, dude. She's wearing chainsaw earmuffs, <laughs> you know, so she doesn't get freaked out by the gunshots, and she did great. Mm-hmm, it was yeah. amazing. We shot two ducks that day. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know, I got day. my wife and my daughter out for her first duck hunt. And it was just like, dude. That's, I was asking Drake today. I said, uh, you remember this or that? One time I was filming him. I think it was nine millimeter film. But when I owned the Mallard Manor project, it was stacked. They were in there. You could walk across the backs of them. And he's about three years old, and he's in his car hearts, and I got him on film. And I said, hey, you're guiding today. Do you know where the ducks are? And boy, I mean to tell you, <laughs> he knew where they were at, yeah, yeah. and he was headed in them. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> so, and one time over at South Mound, um, Trigger and Drake and I, it was the last day of goose season, and we shot the roost over there. I yeah. don't think he remembers that either, but that was pretty special. Yeah. So. So, memories. you know, memories. memories and I, yeah. and it's memories that he doesn't even remember, but yeah. it's kind of cool. You know, we got pictures on the wall and, and he'll look at that and I'm sure they sit in your head. Oh, dude, it yeah. just, I, I started making, uh, these, there's an app called mixed tiles and there, we don't, we're not sponsored by them by any means, but back in the day it was like four bucks a, a print. It has these four little like command strips on the back and you put them on your wall and you can take them off and it doesn't ruin the wall or anything. I bet you I have like 400 of them. And I'd put them above my desk in my office and people would come in there to like look at a bid or an estimate or anything. And they would just be like, so you like to kill ducks, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I'm not a person unless I kill a duck that year, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. it's just one of those things like everyone who's ever come into my office just gets lost and they look at all these pictures and it's like, damn, and I can't even get any work done because I keep looking at these pictures like, oh, that was 15 years ago. That's two years ago. And I just like go back into that hunt. It's like, what is it about waterfowlers and pictures where it's like you need to document it and you need to look at it like forever, you know? Like why do we have dead birds on our wall, you know? What's wrong with us? It is a little morbid, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, but like, like I walked in no, here and I was like, oh, yeah, a duck hunter definitely lives here. Yep, for sure. Yeah, And, and I had stopped myself from being like, where'd you kill that one? Exactly. You know, yeah. how old is that one? And that's what's weird is you can look around and say, okay, I shot this one here and I shot that one there. and Like you actually remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah out totally. of all the fucking birds that you've killed, yeah, that, you remember where that black duck is. That black duck, I was uh, going to shoot a trophy pintail 
and I had them spotted, and I heard them, and I was doing the sneak on them. I was trophy hunting. And I crawled up over, and it looked like a damn crow floating dead amongst all these mallards. Yeah. All of a sudden, its head popped up, and I thought, son of a bitch. So I pot shot that son of a bitch. <laughs> Killed four mallards. A fucking black duck got up unscathed, flying away. Oh, my God. <laughs> Luckily, I had no shell in the gun. Oh, so my I got, God. I got the, got the black, black duck. duck. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Wow, <laughs> Shot cool. your limit real quick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> No, and that's what's neat. There's always those stories like that, you know. Well, before we close this out, I want to ask you guys one last question. Thank you guys for being on. Um, I'm going to ask Drake first. You got a lifetime of doing this, Roy, so I want to give you a minute to think about it. But what, uh, I mean, obviously for you guys, ties run really deep doing this, but what does waterfowl mean to you? And I guess there's, you know, there's anything you could say, <laughs> but what does it mean? He's like, fuck. <laughs> I mean, it, it means everything to me. It's just a lifestyle, and it's, Luckily, this is how I get to support my family, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it, I really didn't have a choice. I mean, I I grew up doing it, and I've tried to learn everything I can from this guy sitting next to me. You got all that river water in your body. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've ever seen the Neosho River, you don't want to drink that water. <laughs> Neosho <laughs> means muddy water. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, I, I love it. I'm made up with it. Yeah. So... No, that's a, well, that's a, that's a tough one to follow, but yeah, I took something that I loved and that was very dear to my heart and turned it into work. And so that got a little weird and sour at one time, but then I, I, you know, it's hard to explain when, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Because at first it's fun, 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 and then it's pressure, pressure, pressure. It's yeah. work, and it's like when you got a TV show showing up for some reason, and it ain't because of ego or anything. I mean, I do this for a living. Yeah. I do this to make money, but I do enjoy to go hunting. Like, I'm going to go hunting tomorrow on a public area in a boat with my buddy, from, you know, um, and the kids are going to take clients hunting. But uh, it's something it's bigger than us you know it's something that i want to see continue on for generations and generations and i'd hate to think that i did something that hurt that so we want to do things we want to leave it better than you found it and we found it yeah yep yep we want to we want to have a few more feathers in the air whenever we throw dirt on me yeah yeah sure for sure well i'm sure you've heard that like every waterfowler goes through certain stages where it's like you first go out there and you want to kill every fucking thing that flies. And then after that, you start doing a little bit more. You're like, okay, I want to learn more about these birds to kill more. And as you learn more, you start to get better at calling and then you don't really need to pull the trigger anymore. And then you start bringing people out and you love to watch other people shoot their first duck or just get as eaten up with it as you are. Right. Yeah. And then, after that is the conservation and the management. Yes, and that's, you know, I shoot a 20-gauge or a 28-gauge. I like to film a lot. Um, we've had multiple clients and a lot of kids shoot their first band at Carter's Big Island Hunting yeah. Club. Most places you go, they're not going to get a band, and, and I understand that because it can be justified, the fact that you wouldn't have shot that duck without that 
outfitter providing that opportunity. So that's all good. But given that, you know, that special moment and sharing that, that's the only thing that's going to keep it going. Um, and we got to keep restoring habitat and kind of fighting back modernization as old John Dutton would say. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Joey, should we calmly own it? Yeah. Yeah. Do it up. Uh, oh, that's wrong, not it. Wrong button. What color is it's, orange? Uh, I got it. This, this is our end. closing song. This is how we always. This end. How we end? Put you I in work, a good mood, you know. I'm a roofer. You know what I mean. You can't, you can't. You can't be mad listening to this song. You just can't. No, but this has been so surreal hanging out with you guys after fucking 25 years or however long it's been since I've last seen you. And thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, oh, we really appreciate it, Joey, and, and uh, glad to have you guys down here. Yeah. Hey, if you guys want to shoot ducks in timber in Kansas with people that know more about it than you, you can go to CBI Hunt Club on Instagram. Check them out. They post some fun content. Loins. Loins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't forget to follow the old man, Roy CBI. At Roy CBI. I only guarantee I only act great content. I only act crazy. (laughs) Oh my god. Well thank you guys. Go follow him on Instagram and uh, leave a rating on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. One more thing by the way. 